I hope that every father has a really super day. And I want to add to our celebration just by talking about father today. Uh, the, uh, we're not going to go back into Ephesians. I'll explain in a moment. We'll, we'll pick up back in Ephesians uh, chapter 5 next week. But we're just going to look at father uh, as, it, as it is uh, kind of in the Gospel of John. And I want to assure you that we're not going to read the Gospel of John this morning. But that's what I did this week. As I uh, kind of finished up last week and thought about, okay, we're going to have Father's Day. Well, we, we ended with the dreaded S word, uh, the word submission. And uh, I just thought about, you know, really the context for that, that we're going to look at it, is uh, reverence for Jesus and respect for one another. And so what I wanted to do is I, I wanted to spend a little time with, okay, let's get the right context for submission in marriage. And that context is really uh, the love of God, the love between God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and how Jesus really submitted to the Father in that context of love. And so I, I just spent time reading the Gospel of John. And I, what I was looking for was Father. I just I, I looked and read every reference to Father in John. I had, and I wrote them out, so I now have nine pages of it's really remarkable. If you haven't read the Gospel of John in a while, I would really encourage you to do that. You know, you know sometimes when you read the Bible, you, you might get really caught up in the details. I just don't get caught up in the details. Just like read, read faster than you read. And don't think that's irreverent to read the Bible fast. Sometimes you'll get a better idea about what God is saying if you'll read faster. The, the more times you read is better than just like reading one time thoroughly because you really want to read the Bible again and again and again and again. I mean, you don't want to lose track. I mean, I don't know how many times I've read John. But, but it was just this, I, I, I really, I want, to, I want to discover something about the father-son uh, relationship. And it's really, really rich. And, I, and I've thought about uh, our community group went to a mosque recently. And we, we went because we want to be uh, good neighbors. Uh, we, we want people that live in our nation that has religious freedom to know that if you, if you observe another religion, then as Christians, we, we're going to acknowledge that you have every right to be uh, an American citizen because we really believe in religious freedom. Oops. And uh, so we just went to introduce ourselves. And, and in that conversation, it was really amazing uh, to learn a, a bit about how fortunate I am to know Jesus. And, and that, that what isn't understood in, sometimes in this, this religious conversation is many times uh, a Muslim and a Christian get in dialogue and what they're talking about is Christianity. They're talking about Christian history. They're talking about Christendom. They're talking about almost the crusader idea of the kingdom of Christ rather than Jesus. And if you haven't read, like the story, I mean, really just read the story of Jesus. I mean, the whole point of Christianity is Jesus. It's not the church. That's the offshoot of it. But it's, it's Jesus. 
And, and the reason that <laughs> we even have a testimony about Jesus is because Jesus said some remarkable things. And so I, I don't, I mean, I don't have to defend Jesus. I just believe that what Jesus said is true. Don't understand it all. Still don't understand it all. But I'm, I'm just amazed. So I, I was really, really, really encouraged in a lot of ways just by reading John quickly and just looking for something. I want to encourage you. If you haven't done that in a while, just encourage you to do that and keep your focus on Jesus. Keep your focus on Jesus. What is Jesus saying about himself and what is Jesus doing to demonstrate what he just said about himself? It's, real, it's remarkable. Now, what I was thinking as I did that, well, you, you know, I could have been avoiding talking about submission in marriage, just putting it off one more week. I know that that is not a favorite subject, uh, and it's probably because we don't really understand what that means, and it's because it's really been a concept that has been used to put people down rather than to build people up, and I don't see the putting down of people. I see the building up of people. Submission, if you want to define the word, it means voluntarily yielding in love. So a person makes a choice. I choose, I volunteer to yield because I love someone else or I love some bigger purpose. And so husbands, uh, when we get to this passage next week, you know, we are to love our wife as Jesus loves the church. And so I just wanted to explore if, if Jesus loving others is kind of this context for this idea of submission, voluntarily yielding, what, how did he do that? And so what I discovered is that Jesus loves, he loves the church, which means he doesn't love buildings, he loves the people that are called the ecclesia. He loves them because he is extravagantly loved by his father. And because Jesus is loved so extravagantly by the Father, <clears throat> he voluntarily yielded to his Father. And it's, again, it's in this context of this extravagant love, and Jesus submitted to the will of his Father. And so maybe, you know, by commemorating Father's Day today, by looking at the Father's love, you know, maybe that's a really good introduction to next week. So if you're just visiting today, you may have to come back next week. So let me tell you what I discovered about a father's love. I can't tell you everything. I mean, I can't, you know, in this morning, you don't want to listen for the next three hours. So I picked out highlights. But this is what I discovered about a father's love. <clears throat> the father loves the son extravagantly. What that means is the father overdid it. What that means is the father didn't withhold. What that means is that the father was not cautious about that love. That means that the father wasn't quiet about that love. You know, as you're reading the Gospel of John, there are times that God spoke from heaven. And if you look at those, they're pretty much the times that he wanted to say, yeah, that's my son, and I'm really well pleased in him. It was a way for the, I mean, God Almighty spoke in an audible voice, 
people heard that, and he's saying, that's the son that I love extravagantly, and I want everybody to know about it. That's an extravagant love. It's the, it's the father loving the son and including him in everything that he is doing. When Jesus spent time early in the morning, I believe he was spending time with his daddy. And he was just saying, okay, what's up today? And the father, well, today this is what we're going to do. I want to include you in everything that I'm doing. And it, I think it goes beyond just, just Jesus being on the planet. I think it's even back into eternity past. I mean, way back when, when we got in big trouble as a human race and God said, I'm going to do something about it. We couldn't do anything about it. And I think that God our Father and Jesus the Son had conversation. Well, this is what I want to do. Okay, Dad, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to leave heaven to go to earth. I'm willing to leave my deity to the side, become a human, uh, because I, I, know, I know you're really serious about rescuing humanity. So I, I think the Father included Jesus in everything. And because Jesus was loved extravagantly, because the Father included him in everything he was doing, then Jesus could say, I love the Father. So being loved extravagantly, Jesus could say, I love the Father. And it didn't just stop there. Jesus could also go on to say, I've loved you, disciples. And just think of what knuckleheads the first disciples were. You know, I've put up with you and loved you. You know, we've gone through thick and thin together. Uh, Some of you denied me. Do you love me, Peter? Uh, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Because I really love you, Peter. So Jesus loved others because the Father loved him. And this is why the Father loves me, Jesus says. He loves me because I freely lay down my life. I voluntarily yield my life in the context of love to what my Father purposes for me. That's an extravagant love. Jesus was extravagantly loved by his Father. He was able to love his Father in return, and he was able to love others because of that Father's love. And then involuntary, voluntarily yielding in love... These are some of the things that Jesus said. The Father is the goal and the purpose of my life. I'm loved extravagantly and I've I've discovered why I'm here. What my purpose is because my Father loves me. This is what my Father wants. Not what I want, but what you want. Jesus, he lived that way. He voluntarily yielded in love to his Father. I want what you want. And it's not that he didn't struggle with that. I mean, when it comes down to the end, I mean, he's, he's sweating blood, literally, because he's really battling with, wow, what my Father wants is really hard. But I know he loves me. And I want to do what he wants me to do. He is the goal and the purpose of my life. The father who sent me is in charge. Okay, every kid in the room say, the father is in charge. Oh, no, I don't want to say that. We have our own, don't we have our struggles? 
with, with you know, the fathers in charge, but it doesn't seem that Jesus did. I mean, he knew he was loved extravagantly. He knew that, it, that the Father had given purpose and mission, and then he was able to say, my, my Father's in charge. I'm not. I voluntarily yield to the charge of my Father. The Father who sent me gave me orders, told me what to say and how to say it. I mean, I really do believe Jesus got down into doing the details of what he did because the Father was telling him, this is what I want you to do, and this is how I want you to do it. One of my favorite stories is when Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda, and there's a guy that's been there for 38 years. He's been lame. He hadn't been able to get into the pool. Uh, an angel would, would stir the waters, and if you could get into the water, you'd be healed. Well, he wasn't able to get into the water. He'd been long abandoned by his friends and his family, and there he is. And so why on that day did Jesus go to that one guy, and why did Jesus tell that guy to get up and walk? Now, why was it that one guy? I mean, he wasn't the only guy around that pool. Well, I, for me, my answer is the father told him early that morning, hey, Jesus, there's going to be a guy today at the pool of Bethesda. He's been there 38 years. God would know all the details of his life. I want you to go tell that guy to get up and walk. So the father told him what to do, how to do it. He did it. And, and he was happy yielding to his father. The father was in charge. And then, as I said earlier, this cup the father gave me, this cup, this is the cup of suffering. It comes down to the very end when Jesus is in the garden. He, he knows, I mean, he, he knew. There is no question that Jesus knew why he was coming. He tells the disciples, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be on the cross. By the end of this, I'm going to die. He knew. He knew what was up. But when it really came down to, in the final hour, it was a battle. But not my will and yours be done. But it, he struggled to get there. But he was a man that was loved by his father. And he was a man in that context of being extravagantly loved who voluntarily yielded to his father. So what can we learn? I mean, if we want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, which that's part of it, you know, what, what can we learn from all of that as we just explore that story of a father's love for his son? Well, I think it starts with this. We need to receive extravagant love. Uh, men, each of you that stood, if, if we're going to love others, we've got to be loved ourselves. And so we need to be loved. And we need to be loved extravagantly. We need people that think that we are the best thing since ice cream. And they communicate that to us. And they love on us. And we need that a lot, not just a little. That's part of extravagance. I, I've told you about my family. I mean, I was born into a family which... Uh, in many ways, my dad at the time of my adolescence and teenage years was not able to love me. He was at that time pursuing his, his work, and in pursuing his work, he uh, was also pursuing alcohol. And so he was really, really absent. So when I met Jesus at 17, Jesus connected me with his father. And I began to feel a father's love like I had not felt through my adolescence and teenage years. 
So God began to love me. And not only that, God began to put other men in my life that loved me. And not only other men, Kerm and Bill, but also their wives, Shirley and Luethel. And these people who were people loved by God began to love me. And they began to love me in extravagant ways. They began to love me in ways that my family was not able to love me at that, that time. And I began to experience this extravagant love of God because others loved me. So I don't know, I don't know everybody's story, but I do know this. Every one of us needs to be loved extravagantly. It might be a parent. If it's not a parent, it might be somebody like a parent. It can be friends. But it, re- something, it just seems to be this figure in our life that's bigger than life, and they love us. And, we, and it doesn't matter. I mean, I, I messed up a time or two, or other than that, much more. And I, and I could always call Lou Ethel when I messed up. And she would grieve with me, but she never stopped loving me when I messed up. We need that kind of extravagant love. And once we begin to receive that kind of love, we need to give that kind of love. Love doesn't need to be measured out. I don't want to love them too much. Well, no, wait a minute. Time out. The father loved the son extravagantly. God loves me extravagantly. I need to pass along the extravagance of God's love to those around me. So each one of us, as we receive God's love, and he loves to give it, and he loves to love us, as we receive that love, that love gets better and better as we give it out, as we give it away. We need to be a community that loves each other well. I love to go to Chile. And one of the reasons I love to go to Chile is because they don't have the culture of being standoffish. I like all the guys to shake my hand, hug me, and shake my hand again. I like the ladies to give me like a little passing kiss and by the end of the week to slap one on me. I like that because I, why? Why do I like that? They're communicating love. We love each other. It's, I mean, I like that. So we want to be a community that cares for each other. We, we, not, we may never, we're not a culture that is that warm. So I have to go to Santiago to get my hit. But that's okay. It's okay. We can still look each other in the eye. We can be interested in each other. And we can communicate to each other, hey, I'm for you. I love you. Because the Father loves me and I'm receiving, I want to pass some of that on to you. And then it's the people outside of this room. I mean, we sometimes pretend like we're the good people. I mean, truthfully, we remember we're not, right? You know, why are we sitting in this room? We're sitting in this room simply because there's a God who's shown mercy to us. There's There's a God that kind of took the blinders off of us. There's a God that's allowed us to know his love. We've been sent, you know, at the cross where God demonstrated his love for us while we were yet sinners. And everybody sitting in this room has been loved by God when we knew we were at our worst. 
How many people are out and about and around us in our neighborhoods, downtown, in the stores, that have never known the love of God? And who's going to love them? It's you and me. As we receive the extravagant love of God, as we express that love for one another, that needs to propel us out that door. Any place you go today for lunch, you need to include that person serving you in the love that you're sharing around the table. God so loved the world and he continues to love the world. In, in the battles that are being raged, God's still loving everybody on every side. We need to be people who receive the love of God and give the love of God away as much as we can. An extravagant love includes... I didn't want to use the word inclusive because then I thought, well, somebody's going to think, you know, I'm tapping into this agenda on inclusion. Well, maybe the Bible is. The Father included the Son in everything. The gospel that you and I believe is inclusive because it's for everybody. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, which he says... In John, I just read it. That is a way, that's an invitation. He's not drawing a line and saying, you're in and you're out. He's inviting everybody to follow him, to know his truth, and to enter into relationship with the Father. Jesus didn't draw lines for anybody other than the religious. So if you're religious and you're a know-it-all and you're self-righteous, then Jesus is probably going to draw a line and say, you're out and the others are in. And who was in? The harlot, the tax collector who exhorted people. (laughs) Just keep going down the list. In Jesus' world, who was in? Who did he include and who did he exclude? My friends, if he were to return today, If we're preaching and living a gospel that excludes the sinners of this world, we would be on the outs with Jesus. He would not be happy to come hang out with us. The only people Jesus got mad at were self-righteous, all-knowing, religious bigots. We don't want to be that, do we? So we want to include. I mean, people different than us. We want to include. The Father included Jesus in everything that he was doing. I believe that we want to include everybody that we can in whatever the Father is doing in our community. Because through that, people know, they come to know, they come to experience. There is a God, and he's real, and he loves me. Even when I'm at my worst, he loves me. This extravagant love includes... Extravagant love serves a purpose. It's not just about, you know, us sitting in a room and going, Ooh, I feel so good. I mean, that's not bad, and it's good that we can feel. I mean, it, we should be strangely warmed. We should have moments where our eyes well up, where we're choked. I mean, we should be experiencing. But it's just not about having the experience of God's love. That experience has a reason, a purpose behind it. The purpose that Jesus had was to bring salvation. 
to all of humanity. We still serve a purpose. And being, being loved by God, that should propel us to serve the purpose of God, to advance his kingdom wherever we go. We are to, in that purpose, to voluntarily yield to our Father's heart. It's his, it's his will. It's what he wants. It's not what we want. It's what he wants. And we know he loves us. So what is it that you want, Lord? What would you have us to do? Voluntarily yielding in love to our Father. And then to stay on task to accomplish whatever God has called us to do. He's called us individually. He's called us corporately. We want to get on with whatever task God has called us to, knowing that's within this context of love and knowing it's within this context of submission. We submit to a God who loves us and has given us a reason and a purpose. So my friends, what I'd like us to do this day is the first one. And we've been doing that in, in, in some measure. Uh, thank you, Jonah, for just, just kind of knowing the heart of our Father today, to, to put us in a place through our worship of receiving the extravagant love of God. As we end, that's the kind of prayer I want us, I just want to pray that prayer for us. So if you'd like to stand, let's invite our God to love us. Father, I thank you that over and over again throughout the Bible, from the beginning to the end, you tell us that you love us. And I thank you that you don't just give us words, but you give us action. And I thank you that really in so many ways the the climax of you demonstrating your love for us came. When you so loved us that you sent us Jesus, You sent us your son. You sent us one dearly beloved. And you were willing to sacrifice him for our sake because you loved us. So, Lord, you've said you love us. You've you've demonstrated through just extraordinary deeds. But this morning, Lord, those are things that are in our head. And what I ask is that this day as we stand before you, as we celebrate the men in this room that are fathers, we want to invite you to fill our hearts with your extravagant love. We want to experience your love. Just as we stand here, just as we end this time together, we just want to invite you to love us, to let us know that love, to experience that love. Maybe it's a whisper. Maybe you have just a a word that you want us to whisper to us. 
Maybe it's this sense of warmth that we're enveloped by you. Maybe it's that you want us to see a picture of you setting us on your lap and putting your arms around us. I, I don't know the ways that you want to express your love to us this day, but I invite you to do that now. In this moment of quiet, pour out your extravagant love on us. Let each one of us experience your love. And Father, as you fill our lives with your love, as we experience your love for us, now send us. Send us. Send us to one another and send us out of this room to others that we will run into today to deliver your love to others. Lord, we ask that this would be a day of celebrating the extravagant love that you have for us. We celebrate the dads that just have this ability um, to love. Just pray for them to love their families in extravagant ways and send us now as a bigger family to love people all around us. Uh, We thank you, Lord. Thank you for your love. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day of celebration. Uh, Thank you for our time together.